Praise indeed. Friends, if you would take your copy of God's Word as you remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you are using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on either page 859 or 983. If you've been with us over the past few months, you know that we've been working through uh, the book of 1 Peter since the beginning of June, and we are now in our last chapter. This week and next week will be our last two weeks in this wonderful book uh, where the Lord has been speaking to us about how we ought to live as those who suffer on this side of glory, waiting for the, ex- ex- for the hope that has been promised to us in Jesus Christ. And this morning we will be looking at one way that the Lord does continue to sustain us in the midst of that endurance that we have through the, the elders, the leaders that He gives to His church, and how we ought to live in the midst of that. So turn with me to 1 Peter 5, we'll be reading verses 1-5. to Hear now God's holy, inerrant word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when's the reading of God's Word? And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Oh, indeed, our God, this is Your Word. And we ask, Father, that You would feed us now as Your people, as Your sheep, with your holy word. Feed us with Christ, the bread of life. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. It is said that to be successful in business, at least in leading in business, you need to have the skill to be able to herd cats. Now, I've never herded cats. Uh, I don't own a cat. I've been around cats enough to know that the idea of trying to herd cats does not se- seem to be something that would be very productive uh, at all. Um, cats have this innate ability. Some people say that you can train cats. I've yet to see it myself. They seem to want to do their own thing, operate on their own pace. You know, sometimes they'll want to stay in play and be active and in your face. Sometimes they'll just want to wander around. Sometimes they just do their own thing. Sometimes they're sleeping. Sometimes they're very active. And as such is the case with us. Uh, it, it, we, as people, we, we tend to have our own uh, opinions about what is right and wrong. We, we operate at our own pace. We have our own priorities. We, we, we evaluate things. We want to do things that we want to do when we want to do them. Um, we have our own priorities. And so the, the analogy holds that when, when you're in business, the idea of trying to align people with these different priorities, different trajectories of life, Uh, different things that they think are important, trying to get them aligned in a common direction uh, is challenging. Um, And I think that that idea of us kind of acting like cats on our own opinion even infects the church. Uh, And how could it not? You know, as much as we try to compartmentalize our lives between this is how I am 
you know, Monday through Saturday, and this is how I am on Sunday, we're one person. Uh, the, the, the same mentality that we have is consistent, despite how we want to hide it. And so this individualistic approach kind of creeps into the church. But, but friends, Scripture doesn't, doesn't know anything about this, this notion of us being like cats. In fact, the analogy that's over and over in Scripture is the analogy that we are God's sheep. We're sheep of a flock that follow a, a good shepherd. And I think that's wonderful news for us. And let, let me explain why. Um, we've, been, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, as I'm sure you've heard week after week, there's kind of three things that we've heard from Peter over and over again. One is that we, we're, we're, we're bound to suffer in the midst of, of life, but yet there's joy in the midst of that because there, it's, God gives purpose to our suffering. We're suffering for the sake of Christ. There's, there's hope on the other end of it. And, and, and that's the, the second thing, that, there, that there's great hope that awaits us because of Christ, that we are in Him and we have this hope of, e- of, e- of eternity with Him in His presence. And the third thing that he kind of consistently tells us is that right now we're in this time of patient endurance. Uh, we're, we're trying to endure in the midst of the trials of life, trying to stand firm on the faith that He's given us. Um, but the question is, how, how is it that we are we to endure? How, how do we stand firm in the midst of life? And I don't know about you, but so often I think the message that we hear and the message that we, or at least the message we, yeah, the message we receive is that it's, it's all about me. I have to endure until the end. I have to uh, resist evil. I'm running the race. I am standing firm on the faith that I've received. And yet, can we really do this on our own? Can, can we really endure to the end? And I think every one of us here would probably say, no, obviously not. We don't, have, we don't possess the strength to endure on our own. And so we cling to the promise when, when Scripture tells us that the Lord is my shepherd, that the Lord is there with me, guiding me and, and directing me and protecting me and, and all these wonderful promises that we have. But at the same time, we hear those words, and yet it feels sometimes that God is distant. Like how, how exactly is he guiding me? How exactly is he protecting me and watching out for me? Is he either distant or it just feels like he's altogether absent? Uh, and, and, how, and then, and then we're, we're told to entrust our souls to, to the Lord, but how, in the, how exactly do we do that? He says that he cares for us, but how? And I think this passage that we have in 1 Peter 5, Peter answers that question very clearly for us. He, he tells us that it's through the men that he has appointed to be shepherds over the flock that we see in the flesh. These, these sinful, weak, foolish men that God sets apart. It's through this that these men that the Lord provides his shepherding care, his protection, and his love. And so that gives us some significant challenges on both sides of that equation. For, one, for, for those men who have been set apart for the office of elder, if they're going to properly shepherd on Christ's behalf, they need to shepherd in the way and the manner and the means that he provides. And for all of us who are submitting to that care, we need to submit to these, these, these sinful men as though we're sitting, s- submitting to Christ himself.
Um, now, this passage uh, talking about uh, elders, it just seems to, seems to kind of come out of nowhere uh, in, in this passage in 1 Peter. Like, Peter just all of a sudden starts talking about elders, and it seems kind of random. And I think that may be partially because of the chapter and verse divisions that we have in our in our Bibles. Now, those are not obviously part of the original letter. This was a letter that Peter wrote to these churches, and it's important for us to, to look at the overall context of a passage if we're going to understand why it's there. Uh, he, he begins, he says, so I exhort the elders among you. And you have to stop right off the bat and say, so, so what? You know, other translations would say, therefore, I exhort. And uh, NIV doesn't have that at all, but, you know, if, you know, like the, the joke says, you know, if there's a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? And so, in order to, to understand that, let's back up just one verse to chapter 4, verse 19. And Peter had said this, and we heard this last week, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then he says, so, or therefore, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then down at verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So it's as if he's saying, we are to entrust ourselves, to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And the way we do that is by submitting and subjecting ourselves willingly to the elders that the Lord has put in place. And therefore, elders, because the Lord has put you in the place of being the vehicle of His shepherding care, you must shepherd with the power and strength of Christ. And even if we go a little bit past our, our verse, if we go to verse 6 and 7, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, um, casting your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Because your God cares for you. How is He caring for you? Well, in the middle of this passage, we're entrusting our souls and He's caring for us. Right in the middle of that is this passage on elders. It's intentional. He's telling us these are the ways that the Lord is caring for us. So, <clears throat> He begins and He says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. So just a few points. He starts off and he, he exhorts these men that they must shepherd. So understand that Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's exhorting the men to take the authority to shepherd with the strength of Christ. This isn't something that, this isn't a human institution that was set up for the sake of maintaining order within the church or some Western philosophy. This is, this is something prescribed and instituted by God for our good and for our care. But secondly, see this. He says, uh, shepherd the flock of God, and he says down in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. These elders that are among us, these elders who have been appointed, are mere under-shepherds of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's important to, to realize that, that the flock under their care, this flock, they are mere stewards of God's flock. This is not their flock. This is Christ's flock. Christ Himself is shepherding you through these men. And so these men need to be careful to understand that as stewards, they can't just shepherd in a way that is 
to their own liking. They can't follow their own means. They can't follow their own manners, their own uh, methods. It's got to be the manner and methods and means of Christ himself. They, they, they don't present, elders don't present their own word or their own uh, philosophies. They present the word of God himself. Only God's word is what they're authorized to pr- proclaim. They don't enforce their own will, but the will of the Lord as he's revealed in Scripture. And because the authority that elders have comes only from scriptures, elders cannot do anything to uh, try to minimize the authority of scripture. They can't add to it or remove from it. It is scripture and scripture alone is the authority. And as we just read in the law passage, elders have to recognize that they are accountable to God, that they have been entrusted with your souls as those who will give an account. Because this is Christ's flock. This is how, how, how you are cared for is, is dear to him and matters. And, I mean, it ought to be awfully remarkable to us that that is how the Lord ministers to us, how he serves us, but that, that he would use human vessels, that he wouldn't just uh, do it immediately without individuals. But this has been his pattern throughout all Scripture. It, from the very beginning of Genesis, God created man in his image and created all creation. Then he put man and he said, this is my creation. Now you rule over it. You take dominion over my creation and rule it in his his place. And when the Israelites were in bondage and they cried out to the Lord, they said, Lord, save us from this bondage. He sent Moses to deliver them out of bondage. And when they were in the promised land and they were afflicted by the surrounding nations and they cried out and they said, Lord, save us, he raised up judges to deliver them. And if you remember King David, when he, he, he had been a shepherd and when he was, he was raised to be, a shepherd, to, to be king, the Lord said, I, I've raised you to shepherd my people Israel. It's through these human means that God has chosen time and time again to work his will on this earth. And of course, all those people were just signposts pointing to Christ. And Christ was the perfect man. Fully God, fully man. And he, he was working out all of God's holy will on, on earth. And he, is, he was the good shepherd who came to gather his flock and to lay down his life for the sheep. But the transcendent, invisible God became visible he was, became Emmanuel. He, he dwelt among us. And he did his ministry in the flesh. But even after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he still ministers to us in the flesh. He still ministers to us in the flesh. Because in the Pentecost event, Christ poured out his spirit on the church. And the church then became the body of Christ where we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, where He works out His will through the church in the midst of this world. And so now, for all of us, you know, every one of us who is united to Christ, we have that Spirit within us, and Christ does His will through us. That's why we make such a big deal about service within the body of Redeemer, because each of us have received spiritual gifts, which we ought to use, as we heard two weeks ago, from 1 Peter. We have those gifts for serving so that when you encourage somebody in Christ, it is Christ who is encouraging that individual through you. 
When you stand in front of a Sunday school class, a kids or adults or whomever, and you teach, Christ himself is teaching through you by his Spirit. And elders, when you shepherd the flock of God, Christ himself is shepherding through you. Is that not remarkable? I mean, is it, what, what a majestic and wonderful promise that is for us. How, what, a, what a privilege it is for us to be vessels used by the Almighty God to do His work here on earth. That Christ would use us as mere instruments for His glory. But what, what a profound responsibility that we have to understand what is the way that God would have us live out those things that he is calling us to do, that he is equipping us to do. So, um, and, and that's exactly what we need to look at. So when, when, when Peter says, <clears throat> elders, you shepherd the flock of God, what exactly does that mean to shepherd the flock of God? Uh, Peter doesn't actually say here, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So because Peter doesn't explain it, we need to think through what scripture says about shepherding and the responsibility and look at the good shepherd and how did he shepherd his flock to give us a prescription for how we ought to shepherd. So a a shepherd leads the flock. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and refreshes my soul with the living water of Jesus Christ. He guides me in paths of righteousness. An elder sets an example, pointing to Christ, but living out that righteousness of Christ. An elder comforts his people. He restores my soul. He applies the balm of encouragement and comfort when we're hurting, when when we're diseased in the heart. An elder feeds the flock. He's a gospel-minded man who gives to the flock the bread of life, Christ himself, the sweet manna of heaven. And he uses that word of God as God prescribes to teach, rebuke, correct, and instruct in righteousness that we might be fully equipped. He gathers the flock. He, He looks for those who have wandered away. He leaves sometimes the 99 to go pursue after the one that's wandered away, understanding that only within the context of the fold of Christ and his shepherding care is there peace and safety and security. He, he will pursue after the hard-hearted, rebellious sheep that is wandering towards the cliff as a rescue mission. He protects the flock by standing firm on the Word of God, rebuking those opponents of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, dealing with enemies outside the fold, but even within the fold, and even within our own hearts, correcting and rebuking with the truth of Scripture. He's with the flock. Even though we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear because our shepherd is with us. A shepherd smells like the sheep because he's with them. He's caring for them. And, And maybe this one binds them all together. He knows the sheep. Jesus said, these are these are my sheep. And I know them. I speak and they know my voice. The the flock of God says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. And I know him. And so shepherds, we need to know the flock. We need to know when they 
when they need comfort, when they need rebuke, when they need calming or leading or encouragement to start serving because they're not, when they're diseased because the rottenness of their heart or their apathy, or when they need the rod of correction to bring them back into the safety and security of the fold. But it's not just what the shepherd does, but also how the shepherd ought to serve that is, is important for us. And 2 Timothy 2 helps us a little bit with this. He says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Gentle, kind, patient. All those things that the Lord exhibited now are commanded for the Lord's servants that they might shepherd, not just in the things that He's commanding, but in the manner, incarnating incarnating Christ in the midst of the flock. And we see Peter living this out, I think, in our passage right here in 1 Peter 5. If you look at verse 1, he says this, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter here, he, he starts and he says to the elders, he says, I'm a fellow elder. He all of a sudden humbles himself to be on par. He doesn't say, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who walked with our Savior and was set apart by Christ Himself, I command you. He says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, as, as your peer, and then he says, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he, he empathizes with them. He says, I not only saw the, the sufferings of Christ, but I've, been, I've borne witness to those sufferings in my own life. Just as he's told us all the way throughout this book, you will suffer for the sake of Christ. He's felt that himself. And he says, I know I'm telling you that you're going to suffer that way, and I felt it too. But at the same time, he doesn't stop with the sufferings. He says, but... Uh, but also as a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. He, he empathizes, but then he sets our eyes on the hope that is ours. He says, the hope that I have in Jesus Christ is your hope. He's, he's shepherding with a gentle and kind exhortation, but at the same time challenging to service, saying this is critical for us. And I think, friends, if, if I could add one more attribute that is essential for us as elders, that, that you that we must demand out of our elders, is there must be a love. Every elder must be fully in love with an intoxicated love for the chief shepherd. Um, One commentator, Ed Clowney, said that the care for the flock that an elder has will be proportional of the care that he has for his Lord. If you remember, when Jesus commissioned Peter to be an elder, he didn't say, Peter, you know, how are your organizational skills? Or Peter, um, how, how good of a fisherman have you been in, in business? Or even how, how good is your understanding of the Westminster Confession of Faith? He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter said, you know I do. And he said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. It is, it is from the love of Christ and feeling the love of the Good Shepherd that compels us to love His flock, His people, the, the sheep of His 
pasture. It's knowing that the good shepherd laid down his life for me that ought to control each one of us to lay down our lives for the flock. And without love of Christ, there's no amount of leadership skills that this world can provide that will ever make us an elder that is effective in shepherding for the sake of the, of the kingdom. And it's to this point of motive, this, this motive that I think Peter is getting to in verses 2 and 3, where he says, uh, he gives us two pairs, where, or three, I'm sorry, three pairs, where he says, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Um, an elder can't be forced into it. We can't say, well, you know, you've been at this church for a long time, and, you know, we know that you know your doctrine, so you, you've got to be a... You've got to be an elder for us. No, we can't force. It can't be compulsion, but it's got to be willingly. And yet, at the same time, the love of Christ constrains us. If we have a love of, of, of Christ and His shepherding love for us, and it will overflow to a, a love for God's people, and it will compel us to want to serve in that way. But it's not under compulsion as forced. And then secondly, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We can't, elders can't serve for the sake of trying to advance their own adven, uh, agenda or trying to get something out of it. Whether it's, uh, uh, scholars think that there was a time where elders were actually compensated for their work, and obviously we don't do that now except for teaching elders for the purpose of uh, that they would not be burdened with worldly concerns of pursuing other employment. Um, but Elders can't be trying to pursue financial or positional or influence type of gain. They can't, they can't be doing it for, for their own purposes. And yet, and yet there is still great gain in serving as an elder. Paul says that elders are worthy of a double honor. And, and, he, and Peter even says here, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading victor's crown of glory. That that even though an elder will suffer for the sake of the flock, there is the hope of the glory of the victor's crown to be received. And, and finally, he says, you know, uh, uh, elders cannot serve in a domineering manner over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, it, it's, you know, we, we have this responsibility of leading and yet it can't be for the sake of advancing our own agenda or heavy-handedly. If the good, excuse me, if the good shepherd was not heavy-handed in the way that he approached us, how could we possibly do anything but be humble and gentle among the flock? We have a responsibility to set an example, just as Christ set this good example for us. Our life must support the words that we preach. But we do lead with authority. We do, as he says, exercise oversight over the flock under our charge, but not for our own advantages. Always in service to the body of Christ. And finally, friends, I think it's critical for us to see, it's, I think it's remarkable that the analogy that Scripture uses over and over is a shepherd. As a shepherd, of all the things that God could have used to describe the role of an elder, he chose shepherds. He didn't choose kings. Elders are not kings of the church. Christ is the king of the church. And our, uh, the elder's responsibility and authority is ministerial, 
We minister and pastor the flock. We don't have imperial rule. We don't lay down edicts. And if they're shepherds, they're not celebrities. Yes, the flock knows who the shepherds are and looks to them, um, but they're not celebrities. Uh, the, the, the shepherd was the hated and despised role in all of society. He was the outcast. Uh, part of the, the remarkable sh- yeah, aspect that Christ, you know, the, the angels appeared to the shepherds was that they were the outcast of all society. And, and that's the role that he calls the elders to. Not, not a glamorous position. Um, and, and he calls them to be shepherds, not CEOs. Yes, there, there are, there's oversight and there's organization. Everything must be done decently and in order within the church, but the church is not a business. It is not a company that needs a CEO. It is the body of Christ. It is the flock of sheep that is filled with sinners that are sickly and wandering and, and heartbroken and scared and skittish. We don't recruit the best talent. <laughs> Scripture says that not many of you were, were anything to speak of, but God chose the things that were not to shame the wise. And we don't fire those who are underperforming. We minister to them. We come alongside them. We comfort them. We, 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 we love with an inefficient love. We don't pursue good return on investment. We're looking at a heavenly investment. We're storing up treasures in heaven, pursuing with the love of Christ, regardless of what results we see in the here and now. We follow doggedly what Christ commands us in means and manner and method. And so, elders, let me ask you, is, does this describe your ministry to the flock? Are you so overwhelmed, first and foremost, with a love for Christ that it compels you to lay down your life for these brothers and sisters whom you vowed to care for and protect? And are you seeking to not just emulate what He calls us to do, but the manner that He calls us to do? Loving them as as Christ's representatives here on earth. And and for the rest of us, do you, do you recognize, do you see the love of your God that he would appoint people with that particular responsibility and hold them accountable to doing that for your sake? There, there are people that you know that have been set apart to care for your soul, to be praying for you, irrespective of whether you even know that they exist. It's the love of God in action through the people that he has set apart. Well, friends, if, if the Lord has called us, has called elders to that particular task, if he shepherds us through that, then the implication for the rest of us, for all of us who are under, under that care, ought to be obvious. We ought to be submitting to that on, as though we're submitting to Christ. And that's actually where Peter takes us in uh, verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Um, and we don't need to get hung up on that, that terminology of younger. The word could mean younger or newer or that which is lower in positional stature, something like that. Basically what he's trying to say is uh, you who are not elders. So there's those who are elders, you're charged to, to shepherd. Everybody else, you are charged to subject yourself willingly to the elders. 
And the problem, though, isn't it, is that we know who these guys are. <laughs> and we know they're not Christ. We know that they're sinners. We know that they've got their own idiosyncrasies, their own weird personalities. They've got their fallibilities. They, they, they make mistakes. They don't speak clearly. They, you know, they, they don't, they're not always responsible in the way they ought to be. They're not, they're not always living that care out the way they ought to be. And yet the exhortation Peter gives to us is that he exhorts us to willingly subject ourselves, just as the elders are to willingly lay down their lives for the flock. We are called to willingly submit to their leading as though the Lord is leading through us. We, we have to let the Good Shepherd lead us through them. And I think something that ought to help us with this is our form of government, the Presbyterian form of government, where we have a plurality of elders. Now, each one of us as elders is clearly uh, not Christ. And not, not to say that the plurality of elders is Christ either, but there is great uh, strength in, in the fact that the Lord works through a plurality of elders, that we, we sharpen one another, we hold each other accountable. Each of the men that serve you as elders have different gifts and different perspectives. And together, as we push and pull ourselves towards the center, towards Christ, I believe you're being served as Christ would have you being served. And there's great hope in that. It's not the individual elders that are those, but the, the plurality of elders who are serving you as Christ. And so, you know, maybe, <clears throat> maybe what we need to realize is maybe we, we don't have everything all figured out. And we do need somebody to lead us. Maybe, maybe we aren't totally right in our thinking. Maybe we do need the elders to come alongside and help correct us and teach us in what is right thinking. Maybe, maybe we do need to be led. And I think that's exactly what Scripture says over and over again. That in our, in our hearts, we believe we know what is right, but the Lord tests the heart. That uh, the Lord is, is, is correcting us. And I think he's doing it through his word as led by the shepherds the Lord has given us. And friends, I think, you know, obviously what, what I'm describing of acknowledging that we might need that corrective and leading is humility. And I think this relationship of the shepherds and the flock can never work without the humility that is necessary for that relationship. And that's exactly where Peter takes us. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Only when elders are clothed with the humility of the good shepherd can they lead with, uh, without being domineering by being able to come alongside and empathizing, recognizing that just as they're recipients of God's grace, they also have the privilege of being dispensers of God's grace. And for all of us, only when we are clothed with the humility of Christ, the Lamb of God, can we properly be led in paths of righteousness. Um, it's our humility that tells us that we are foolish 
because of sin. And that we need to be instructed. That it's humility that tells us that we are prone to wander and we need to be led and redirected. It's our humility that tells us that we ought to accept loving rebuke when our hearts are hard and we lead the loving care of our Good Shepherd and pursue wickedness. And there's a promise that God will show us grace when we have that humility. But there's also a promise that God will oppose us when we do not and we pursue that pride in that is so natural in our hearts. And so we must be vigilant to check our hearts, to humble ourselves before our God and before one another for our benefit and for His glory. <clears throat> now the, the last few days of Jesus' life was a, a bit of a roller coaster for, I think, our Apostle Peter. Jesus had said, I am about to, you're all going to be cast away because they are going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. And, and Peter said, no way, Lord. Even though all these other guys, you know, they're not quite as committed as me. They're all going to be scattered. I will be with you till the end. And, and Jesus said, trust me, Peter. Before the rooster crows, you were going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus was led to his death. Peter was uh, and Peter denied him. And of course, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and there was great joy and there was, and there was restoration. And uh, one morning after that, they met for a meal on the Sea of Galilee and there was a conversation that Jesus pulls Peter aside and I think it's a conversation that impacted his ministry for the rest of his life. And it went like this. It said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And he said, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Beloved, if we, if we love our Savior, look at the love of our Savior for us as he's leaving, one of the last things that he's doing is ensuring that we are cared for. That you are being cared for by those whom you can see, with those whom you can pray with, with those who can hold you accountable and walk alongside you and teach you. If we love him, we will walk along with one another. Christ loves his flock and he is careful to continue to protect it and to watch over it and to care for it. And he does it with a tender and zealous and protective love. And he does it through sinful, weak men who are among you, the, the elders who are among you. May our elders be filled with a love of Christ that compels them to lay down their lives for us, for the flock. And may we willingly submit ourselves to following the Good Shepherd for His glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together.
Oh, gracious God, you do love us with an eternal and magnificent love. And it's startling that you would use sinful, weak vessels like you do. But we, we give you glory that you give each one of us the opportunity to be instruments in your hands. Would you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to do just that? Would you bind us in unity, giving thanks to you for the great gifts that you've given us? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.